0: Well, thanks for making the effort, the extra effort uh, to come join us today. Um, We uh, did a little hydroplaning ourselves on the way here this morning, riding on the Pineapple Express. That's what they call this weather front that's coming in, this river of precipitation. And uh, it's going to continue for a little while. I guess we get a day off tomorrow, dry day, and then Tuesday we're back. You know, we, um, we human beings are a maddening lot. You know, we complain when it doesn't rain. And we complain when it rains, and it 's like you know we we, uh, we kind of get lost in our complaints. Why is that? Why is that? I mean we don 't do that here because we 're mature people, oh, yeah. right? okay, good to know, good to know. So I know that people you know worked hard to set up early, the small group contingent came out and. Jeff and the production crew came out and uh, really, really appreciate all that because it takes a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of fun being not just the guy who gets up and preaches, but the, but the guy who's serving as as pastor and finding out, you know, what's going on in, in people's lives. Like, you know, it's good to Good to see Steve and Esther, our newlyweds, here this morning. I was asking them how long they've been mar- they've been married, and they can't remember. Let's see, is it two weeks? Is it what? What is it? How many days has it been? And and it's Jason's birthday. I know he doesn't want me to mention that, but I but I have to do that over there. It's tough turning twenty-one, folks. Really. Is it 21? Did I get that right? Yeah, okay, I thought I did. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? And uh, if you have a Bible, um, if you have a phone that has the Bible on it, um, whatever you do, or you can look at the screen because it's going to be up there as well. And we're starting a, a series for Advent, four weeks. We often go right to Luke chapter 2 because it's so famous, it's so well known. Um, but what about Luke chapter 1? That's what we're going to be spending um, our time in Luke chapter 1, which has 66 verses. There's a lot going on there, all about anticipating the coming of the Christ, the fulfillment of the promise. And sometimes, you know, when the answer gets here too quickly, we forget what the question was. What is this in fulfillment of? I mean, what is this in answer to? Why are we expecting him? What is the depth of our need? Um, So, we have this opening from Dr. Luke. I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 1 and uh, stop and, and offer some commentary on that. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, I grabbed that word when I read it again, the word certainty, because there's something really ironic about using that word in an age of profound uncertainty. We live in an age of uncertainty there's so much that is not known for certain there's so much that cannot be controlled or even predicted we live in a time of uncertainty uncertainty in our own lives uncertainty in terms of the world situation uncertainty in terms of economics uncertainty in terms of political realities and where things are going and where things are trending a lot of uncertainty now some of us actually like to ride the wave of chaos i don't know if anybody would admit that but i i know a a few of you well enough to know that that's that's all right for you. You you sort of like most of us don't like to do that. We don't sign up for chaos. We like to have things in order. And Dr. Luke is telling us that he is writing an account that will increase our sense of certainty. On the one hand, certainty we know is impossible. There's no such thing for us as human beings in the Amongst the contingency of this world and of our history, to have anything like uncertainty, to have anything like certainty, and yet we know we need it. We can't live without it. How do you set a direction for your life unless you're certain you're going in the right direction? How do you claim a set of values unless they are right, unless you can be confident in them that they will take you in the right direction? So there's a lot of questions around this claim of certainty. And uh, I will tell you this, that year by year, now I'm, of course, someone who's been around a long time on this planet, so I have the right to, to say this. Year by year, I will tell you, and you may not expect that I would say this, but I will tell you that I am less and less certain of things the longer I'm around. I am less and less dogmatic. On the other hand, there are a few things that I have become more and more certain about. And that forms kind of the core of what I believe. When I was younger, I knew, well, I knew everything for certain. You know, I was a younger, idealistic person, and I had all of the answers, and I was glad to share them with you. But then, you know, life gets a little bit complicated and there are nuances and there are shades of gray and there are conditions and terms and and it doesn't always work out the way you thought it would. It isn't always simple. So what can you count on? Since all kinds of things are uncertain, is there anything that ultimately is certain that can become the foundation for us? In the language that, that Luke, Dr. Luke uses here, He's he's talking about this accounting that he's doing. He's talking about this research that he's doing. And he's done this very careful investigation. It's an interesting opening, an interesting prelude to this historical document called a gospel. He's going to be unveiling this news, and he wants us to be certain of it. So there are certain facts that are lined out, certain facts that are presented. But facts by themselves... Don't tell us much. That's why you can be a brilliant scientist and have no idea how to live your life. In fact, your life could be falling apart even, you, even though you have a whole catalog of knowledge stored up here like you're in a walking encyclopedia. I mean, that's a great thing to know a lot of stuff, but what's the significance of these facts? And so Dr. Luke says there's something called the word. In the Greek, the, the term is Logos. And we use that in the English all the time. We have biology. We have geology. It's the study of. And the logos is the interpretive key. In order to master a topic or a subject, you have to know the logos. Well, if you want to learn about life, you have to know the logos. You have to have the interpretive key. There's there's sort of a central truth that will unlock the implications of everything else around you. And what Luke is saying here, even before he tells us what it is, because he's speaking in very vague terms, there's something that has happened, and I want to share with you about everything that's significant. He doesn't tell us what it is yet. He just says, I want you to know I've, I've carefully researched this. Others have as well. I'm adding my voice to theirs. It's so important that you get to certainty about this. Not about everything else going on in the world, but about this, because this is the interpretive key. This is the Logos. And later on, of course, that term, that name, is going to be ap- ap- applied to the one who is sent to us, who is called Jesus. He's called the Logos. So we have a living word, and then we have a written word. And that word becomes for us kind of a, a core authority that then begins to shed light on everything else we need to know. So if you don't start here, you'll just collect facts. But to get to the Logos of the issue is, John's, is, is Luke's... Um, Um, ambition here for us you can collect knowledge you can have knowledge about a lot of things but then luke drops in the word we have this knowledge based on eyewitness testimony there's something about knowing something as a matter of hearsay i've heard about this i've read about this i know there are rumors circulating about this but to be an eyewitness of something now takes us to a different level of knowledge Let me give you an example of that. I'll use myself as an example of someone who claims to have a lot of knowledge about things like, well, cleaning your gutters before it rains. You know about that? You're supposed to be doing that. And I know all about cleaning the gutters. I know that it's an annual ritual. In the fall, you need to clean those gutters so that the water can flow freely, you know, through the the gutters and down the drain and out, you know, where it needs to go so it doesn't accumulate and create all kinds of problems, including leaks in your roof. Do you all know about this? Okay homeowners out there and if you're running you don't care Um, So I know that you know the rainy season is about to come And I know that i'm supposed to get up there and clean the gutters and we have this sort of metal We have this grating up there and I have to remove it and then put it back on And I take a rake and I have to kind of rake the roof so that you know You you get as much as you can off the roof. I mean, I know this I could pass any exam on this, and I could teach it to you if you wanted. In fact, I've even done it occasionally in the past. So guess what happened this weekend? It rained. It rained really hard. I mean, this would be the event I should be prepared for. I knew to get prepared for it. I have a deep faith in the need to do it, and I did absolutely nothing about it. And so the rains come down even though i know what i'm supposed to do so in the morning this morning because i'm getting ready for church of course i'm sitting in my seat in the living room and i'm kind of meditating and reflecting i'm watching the rain just come down you know just torrential rain come down and then this sort of mysterious figure walks by the front window in this kind of rain kind of a shrouded kind of a creature walking by and i realize it's my wife (laughs) and she's got a ladder and she's putting the ladder next to the gutters, and she's going up there, and she's taking the leaves out in the pouring rain. Which, of course, I would help her, but I have to, you know, get ready for this morning. (laughs) My wife, who doesn't like heights, who doesn't like to climb up on ladders, is out there. You're supposed to do this before it starts raining. But if your husband forgets, if your husband knows what to do but doesn't actually do it, what does he really know and what good is he? And notice she has no response to that. You can know something, you can claim to know something, and you can be an absolute idiot. I didn't want to say that quite so disrespectfully about myself, but it's, it, it's the truth. And so you have this All these facts and you have this array of knowledge But there's a sense in which until you experience it until you take the risk and step out on it You won't even know the truth of it. You have to do it You have to be an eyewitness is what Luke is telling us So to live by faith is not a hypothetical exercise. Well, I I I believe this and I kind of you know, it's sort of religious knowledge I keep it over here in this category and then there's my real life over here No if you have that kind of dichotomy you don't know anything because this logos this this knowledge this revelation that comes from God becomes a core conviction and you live it you act on it you go somewhere with it or you let your wife do it and you miss out on it and so for one pathetic minute I went out there and steadied the ladder trying not to get wet because after all I have to appear in public and be in front and and look good. Don't I? Was that no? Oh, oh, somebody said, okay, never mind. Yes, all right. I have a friend who uh, went through a terrible accident and, uh, and, and survived and uh, um, easily could have been killed. In fact, after the car had rolled over a number of times, Um, his wife, who was unhurt, sitting next to him, looked over and was sure he was dead. It was all bloody. He was unconscious. He was in a horrible state. Well, he survived. And it was uh, a little over maybe uh, six weeks, eight weeks later that I saw him. I was looking forward to visiting him. Uh, He was a Christian. He had a faith, not really a very deep faith, um, not one that he talked about a lot or seemed like he acted on. I don't know. I can't judge somebody else. But it seemed like it was sort of a superficial faith that he kind of put on occasionally and was at church occasionally and maybe even took a position at the church. But I didn't really know where he was spiritually, but I had the feeling this, uh, this event may have, may have done something for him or to him. And so I was eager to talk to him, and I said, Ren, tell me, after we talked about, you know, the accident and how he's in recovery and his head is still bandaged you know he could see the effects of the surgery on the side and and uh you know he'd been through it a lot i said tell me what do you what do you believe now what do you see now what do you know now and he said uh, he said doug he said i i i don't say that i believe anymore and I, my heart kind of sinks wow after going through all that you've lost your faith you don't believe? He said, no, Doug, I I don't believe. I know. And I was kind of startled by that. I said, "What what do you mean? He said, I know. I've been saved. I've been rescued. I'm back from the dead. And my life is going to be completely different from now on. It already is. You can ask my wife in the other room which I did later on. I said, tell me, what's, what's going on with your husband? She said, oh, my gosh. It's, it, it's completely different. His priorities have shifted. Now, he would have said that he knew something before, that he believed something before, but now he knows at a deeper level, and that's what Luke is pushing us toward. He's going to be telling a story that isn't just about adding to the storehouse of knowledge that you have but it's about changing your life. It's about knowing something at such a deep level, knowing it by experience, so that it becomes a conviction, an unshakable conviction that now directs your life and is part of all this, everything that you're doing. It's not a separate category of religious knowledge over here. It's it's to be applied in every area of your life. So let me continue and read now uh, back to verse 5 of chapter 1. Now that Luke has given us that prologue, this is what he intends to do. This is what this Christmas story, this gospel is supposed to, this is the impact it's supposed to have on our lives. So here's the story of one man and one woman, and uh, kind of interesting. In the, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Okay, these folks have some status. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Very impressive. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Let me just stop for a moment and tell you, this was a moment of high privilege for Zechariah. There were many, many priests. And he was in a division that maybe once or twice a year for a week or two a year had the opportunity to be in the center of the worship experience. And maybe once in a lifetime, an individual priest would have the opportunity to stand at the center of the temple were the holy of holies, you know, symbolizing the very presence of God. And the only thing that would separate him from that presence would be a a curtain. And he would stand there and he would do the ritual, the incense. And this was his day. This was a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience for Zechariah. And the people outside were now being called to worship by his action. So he was leading the nation of Israel for that one moment. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped by fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of of power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be certain How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife, she's pretty old too. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed he returned home. After this his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and their five months remained and for five months remained in seclusion. "The Lord has done this for me," she said. "In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people." Here's this couple. We have Zachariah, his wife Elizabeth. Um, they got a lot of things going for them. They're privileged people in many ways. Uh, and they're righteous. So righteous that they're called blameless, which means they're doing the very best they can do. They're very conscientious and meticulous. That might be You doing the best that you can do. Not, not perfect, but doing the best that you can do. Trying really hard, making a sincere effort. But they're childless. She's barren. Um, and that society, that represents a huge deficit because you don't have a future unless you have a family. Um, the value system required that you have a family And it wasn't happening. And we've been doing all the right things, and God hasn't answered our prayer. Have you ever felt like that? I I prayed once, or I prayed hard for a long time, and God didn't answer my prayer. And this prayer happens to be probably the most important thing to me in my life. Um, We have no future, really. I know my husband is sad because I'm barren, I know that my wife is sad because she's unable to have a baby. We could even start blaming each other at a point like that. And there's a sadness, and there's, you know, a long time when they are praying, and nothing happens. What would you tell somebody at that moment before you hear anything else in terms of any other resolution? This has been a long time coming. They've been waiting a long time. They're doing the right things. And they're not certain anymore that this God who claims to be the God of blessing is in fact blessing them. And I'm wondering if, if you've ever felt that. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. And I wonder what that does to your sense of, of certainty. And behind that sense of certainty, again, isn't just, I know the facts, I have all the facts. No, it's really something much deeper and more existential. It's about, can you trust this one? Are you certain enough about him that you can trust him with your life? And can you trust him when things are not working out? That's where Zachariah and Elizabeth are. That may be where you are or have been or will be at some point in the future. And the angel comes claiming to bring good news to people who are desperate for it. The routine of this righteous man is interrupted. He continues to do the right thing, by the way. Notice that. He continues to be faithful. He continues to serve as a priest. And he's at the temple. He's at the right time. He's at the right place. He doesn't have any high expectations that anything dramatic is going to happen. He's just doing what he should do. Maybe sometimes he's even going through the motions and not even thinking about what he's doing. Maybe it is just a ritual at this moment. Although this moment is kind of dramatic because he's now the one who stands outside the Holy of Holies and he is calling the people to worship and they are beginning to pray. And by the way, in Scripture, you will notice that prayer almost always, perhaps even always, depending how you read it, precedes some dramatic turnaround, turnabout. It might be a long time of prayer. It might not be just after one moment of prayer. It might be a whole season of prayer. It might be a year of prayer. They're praying. An angel appears. There's a messenger from God. And he says something very significant to Luke. He says, don't be afraid. You see, the last thing Luke expected to find when he went to church was God showing up. (laughs) Wouldn't that be an unusual thing if you came here on a Sunday morning and God actually showed up? Wouldn't that be shocking? And not only showed up, but showed up in such a way that your life was now going to turn and go in a totally different direction. Are you up for that? That's why we're afraid. Because on the one hand, I do have things I want God to do for me. On the other hand, I have sort of my agenda about how this is all going to work out. Well, if God shows up, all bets are off because he's going to turn you around and send you in his direction. So what's happening here? This is dramatic, and sometimes God sneaks up on us like this. It might be when the church is gathered. It might be when you're out on a hillside by yourself. Um, It might be when you're driving. It could be any time, any place, God has the right to intervene. It's not when you think he should or will show up. You can't compel it. God is in charge. And the routine is shattered. And he's afraid. He's startled. He's gripped by fear. It says, and the angel says, as the angel often has to say, when God visits, he has to say, now, peace. I want to restore the peace. Don't be afraid. Fear not. The, the command most often repeated in Scripture, because when God intervenes, um, we're, we're unnerved. We're disoriented. Okay, where, where is he going with this? What, what is he going to do? I've been asking him for a certain thing, which he hasn't hasn't bothered to respond. Um, He also knows that I have issues in my life that I probably haven't settled with him yet. So what's he doing here? What What is God's intention when he interrupts you? Is it a gracious intention? Is that what God's about? Is that what you can believe and trust? And you have to figure this out by coming to experience it. You have to experience it. Your prayer has been heard. Now, God heard it the first time you prayed it. But God understands timing. He understands circumstance. He's working out a larger purpose. He knows that if you have to wait sometimes, you have a deeper appreciation. He knows that he has a, he has a fulfillment of your prayer, an answer to your prayer that is beyond even what you're asking. They're just praying for a kid, and they get John the Baptist. I don't know that you want John the Baptist as your kid. This is one wild dude. John the Baptist. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of conception. All right, He's going to be one lively kid. You're not going to be able to control this kid. He is an answer to your prayer. He is one of the greats of all time that have ever graced this planet. He's got an important mission And that was my purpose all along, was to choose you, Zechariah, and you, Elizabeth, to be part of the vehicle for this mission. So you had a prayer. It was at this level. I have now increased the significance of all that you've been praying for. And here it is. And his name is John. And John means God has been gracious. God has been gracious. That means all along, even before you had the answer to your prayer, God was gracious. That's who he is. That's what you can know. That's what you can be certain of even before you have the answer to your prayer. That God is gracious. He has a gracious intention for your life. And of course, you would expect Zechariah to do what? What would you expect him to do? His name's going to be John. I'm going to have a baby. My wife's going to conceive. In our old age, we're going to have this marvelous surprise. He's going to be a a very special little boy. He's going to be totally devoted to God. He can't even drink the hard stuff. He's going to be totally devoted to God. I mean, that's not a requirement for anybody else, but it's a requirement for this little boy. He's going to be completely set aside for God's purpose. And he's going to do some amazing things. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to bring the fathers, reconcile the fathers to the children. By the way, that's the last sentence in the Old Testament. We've been waiting 400 years for a prophet to show up, Israel has, since Malachi in the Old Testament. 400 years, it's been quiet. God's been quiet. We've been praying. God hasn't answered. Israel is still under occupation. The Romans now, it was the Greeks, it was all kinds of folks that have... Overrun the promised land. God says a king like David is going to be going to restore the kingdom to Israel in some shape or form. And John's now going to speak. He's going to be that prophet, filled with the Holy Spirit. Returning the fathers to the children and reconciling the children to the, to the fathers. And by the way, if there is a great crisis in our world, that's a great crisis. What happens in families? What happens between families? What happens to break up and break down families? What happens to alienate generations from each other? That's huge. And to restore the disobedient to wisdom. That comes from the book of Daniel the disobedient, those of us who are wayward, those of us who don't really know how to live our lives. We're not living our lives according to the wisdom of God. The prophet comes and straightens us out and gets us ready now to become the people of God, to receive the gift of God, to receive the person who is God with us. That's going to be John's role. Now, that's an answer to prayer beyond anything that John and his wife, that Luke and his wife had asked for. Luke. Zechariah. I know I'll get to the right guy. Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so what does Zechariah say to all of this? How can I be certain of this? Wow. You're still asking that question? I mean, if an angel appeared to you, would you go, hey, I'm impressed, but... I don't know. How do I know you're an angel who tells the truth? I mean, certainty is hard to find from a human point of view. We have have a tendency to question everything, including God. So the angel doesn't argue with him, although he might have been a little bit irritated. Not sure I, I might hear that in his tone of voice. Okay. You're not, you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're not believing what I'm saying. God's still going to do it for you. That's good. It's good to know that our doubt doesn't stop God from his determination. Um, well, you're going to be silent. And you're going to be silent. I think I can think of at least three reasons why it would be good for him to be silent. First of all, we're not going to keep arguing here. So you're going to be silent. Secondly, you're going to be silent because... It's actually a sign to you that you can't speak. You want a sign that I'm telling you the truth? Here's the sign. You can't speak. Okay? For a little while. For a little while. Until the time is right. And God is still making, making Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth wait. Not for too long, but there's going to be a gestation period, and then the boy is going to be born, and then all of this is going to happen. So there's still a waiting. Even when you... When you've got the answer, there's probably a season now of waiting for the next answer. And ultimately, the question isn't, have I had all my prayers answered? The question is, can you trust God as he answers your prayer one by one by one, in his own way, according to his own will? Can you trust him? Do you know him? Can you be certain of him? It's also probably good that he's silent because he needs to kind of keep this a secret we don't need to be blabbing this around, telling everybody, well, you know, my son's going to be a prophet and everything's going to change. Because people wouldn't have understood that. There's a kind of secrecy to the kingdom of God at times. When God's ready to tell the message, he does. And then it gets out. Um, and so it takes some time. The people realize something has happened to this man, Zechariah. He's had an amazing experience. He now knows something, but he can't tell us what it is. And so we come to the place where Zechariah has to work through his doubts, and that's okay. God lets you work through your doubts. He continues to provide reasons to believe him, to trust him, to be certain. If you can be certain about this one thing, if you don't know anything else, if you're not, un- if you're not clear about anything else, that's okay if you know this one thing, that God can be trusted, that God has a loving purpose and plan for your life. If I know that for sure, I can hang on to that. I can build a life on that. I can make decisions now based upon that even before I have all the other answers, even before I have all the other knowledge that I need. You have to be smart about one thing. You have to trust him on this. He's real, and he cares more for you than you can possibly imagine, which means he's working out a loving purpose in your life, which means you're now going to respond in obedience When he speaks to you. And Elizabeth, what's her response? Her response is, the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done... Notice how she personalizes it. You know, facts are facts, and they're kind of impersonal, and they're objective. But until something becomes personal to you, that changes your life, that convinces you that you're loved that God has a purpose for you, nothing much happens. Elizabeth gets there. She gets there quickly, maybe because she's the person who's been longing for the children. And it's going to be her that bears this child, this, this prophet, this John, this one who reminds us that God is gracious. And you say, well, can't we sort of separate Zachariah from Elizabeth and uh, let's, just, let's just move on with her? We had a leadership retreat this weekend. Uh, GRX leadership retreat, staff, leadership team, a dozen of us away for the weekend. And because it was raining most of the time, we actually had to work. (laughs) Couldn't hang out at the boardwalk down in Santa Cruz area. And we had some very, very deep, I think, conversation. We had a lot of um, intense interaction we dealt with issues that, um, that are hard to deal with, that are challenging for us, that present opportunities for us, that cause us to rise up and, and grab a hold of it. And, uh, you know, we're sort of suspended between doubt and certainty because we're humans. And there's no way that you could divide the Zacharias in the room from the Elizabeths in the room because the truth is, Both of those tendencies are in each of us. And there are doubts about God's call. And then from the very person who might have shared their biggest doubt comes a great idea about how it is we move forward. Kind of makes your head spin. You can get kind of whiplash listening to this group of people talk because sometimes we're filled with faith and sometimes we're filled with fear. Sometimes we're looking backwards and sometimes we're looking forward and moving toward that which God is calling us. Sometimes we don't know where we are. But God's determination trumps our doubts. And he continues to work. I saw that this weekend. I was caught up in it myself. There are times when I had doubts. Didn't even know if I wanted to share them. The good thing is, by the way, to share them, to come out loud with them instead of hiding. Because often when you bring them up, They can get resolved as people respond back to you. And that kind of conversation did happen this weekend. And that's what God is doing with us as human beings. He is trying to create in us a deep sense of certainty about that one thing. That he is really here and he really cares. And he is doing an amazing work. And you and I are invited to be a part of that. You know, in a moment we're going we're gonna to experience communion together. You don't have to have all the answers to take communion. You don't have to have your theology perfect to take communion. You don't have to be um, right in every area of your life because I'm sure you're not. But taking communion is a step of faith that says, I'm certain about this one thing, that God loves me, that I have a great need for his love and I'm going to take all the love that he chooses to give me. And I'm going to take that because of what he's done in Christ. All of this is preparation, by the way, for what's coming in chapter 2. The prophet John is going to be this guy who forces all of us to get really, really honest because John is very certain about one thing. God's going to show up and he's going to change everything. When he does, are you all ready? Will you clear your heart of all the debris, of all the doubt that stops you from being certain of this one thing? Hang on to your doubt. Hang on to your questions. Ask them. God's not shocked. But don't let them interfere with your ability to respond in faith and trust. Because that's how, that's the life God has for us. Would you pray with me?